This podcast was developed by Bridge Bio to educate ourselves and the public about living with a rare disease. Since our guests aren't scripted and are free to speak their minds, their views do not necessarily reflect the views and policy of Bridge Bio Pharma. Now, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to On Rare, an exclusive podcast produced by Bridge Bio, a biotech company that focuses on developing treatments for rare diseases. Behind each unique condition is a unique story. And on On Rare, we have the privilege to listen and learn from the true experts, people living with some of the rarest conditions. I'm your host, Mandy Rorig, a member of the patient advocacy team at BridgeBio, and I'm joined by my colleague, David Rintel, head of patient advocacy. Today, David speaks with Eileen, mother of Brady, who lives with a rare condition where the layers of skin separate, blister, and require a lot of attention and care. It's called recessive dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa, or RDEB. Hi, David. Thanks, Mandy. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Eileen. EB is really just one of the most challenging conditions that I know of, requires so much care and is so difficult for children, their parents, their families. But first, I think we should learn more about EB from an expert, my colleague, Sanuj Ravindran, who's the executive chairman of Phoenix Tissue Repair, the bridge bio affiliate that is working on a treatment for epidermolysis bullosa. From now on, I'm going to call you Sanuj. That's uh, easier and how I know you, Sanuj. And uh, <laughs> welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks, David. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast. Sanuj, I guess I'm just going to ask you straightforwardly, what is epidermolysis bullosa? Yeah, you know, epidermolysis bullosa is an unfortunate condition. It's a it's a rare genetic disorder. It's caused by mutations in a gene that is meant to encode a protein called collagen 7. What collagen 7 serves to do is two things. Number 1, it functions as nature's velcro. So we have different skin layers and collagen 7 plays an integral role there in keeping those skin layers intact. The other function that collagen 7 has is a signaling function where it serves to promote wound healing. So when a patient has epidermolysis bullosa, even in any sort of minor friction or trauma, this can Mm -hmm. cause blistering, tearing, scarring of the skin, along with severe pain. And it doesn't stop there because collagen 7 doesn't deposit normally just in the skin, but also in other layers within your body as well. So the internal skin lining, the mouth and the throat are affected. This disrupts a patient's ability to eat. And collagen 7 also plays a role in the cornea. And and these patients suffer from corneal abrasions. These patients really don't have any treatment options beyond wound care, pain management, protective bandaging. And uh, there's really no cure for EB at the moment. What a really challenging condition to live with. Is it usually diagnosed at birth, Sanuj? Yeah, it's, it's generally diagnosed at birth, uh, and then the, the complications around the disease uh, only become worse over time. Yeah. And um, you mentioned that the, the layers of skin separate due to minor trauma. Just wondering what that is. Is it just through generally going through the activities of life? Yeah, it, it really is the, the activities of life. Even you know, sitting and getting up from the chair and having the chair kind of rub the skin the wrong way, for instance, can separate the skin layers. Right? Without that adhesive there, just think about the skin layers just easily being separatable. And so really even the most minor 
movement, friction, rubbing, pressure, et cetera, can, can cause these types of uh, insults to the skin. Yeah, it just seems like such a difficult condition to live with, both for the child and for the entire family, um, caring for a condition where the skin is so fragile and so prone to injury. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously just the care of the wounds, the, the amount of time, which is several hours per day that patients have to undergo frequent mm-hmm. bandage changes to both prevent as well as to treat um, their wounds. Yeah. And I, I think it's important that you said that the visible part of EB is what happens in the skin, but there's also an internal component because it's a systemic disease. And we're going to hear about a little boy who has trouble eating. And I wonder if you can explain what the cause of that is. Yeah, it's relatively easy for people to visualize EB as a skin disease because that's what's apparent. Uh, But if you think about the wounding and the blister formation on a skin, and then imagine that same process happening along the GI tract, the esophagus, even the act of eating can cause internal blister formation and, and wound formation. And so the pain associated with that kind of blistering makes it difficult for a patient to eat or want to eat. The other thing that ends up happening is is that over time, with repeated wound formation, the esophagus develops a tightening of the esophageal tract. And so there's no space. There's no ability to swallow certain types of food. And the way to treat that is through dilatations, where one goes in and mechanically expands the esophagus through a procedure. Patients have to go through a frequent number of these over time. This can cause nutritional deficits. Many patients have feeding tubes. It's really a dissatisfying condition. Sometimes when we talk to patients and we ask them what they could change about their condition, quite often what we hear patients say is they wish they could eat. They wish they could eat a slice of pizza and have it not be painful, have it not cause damage. When I hear that answer versus the skin answer, it's unfortunate all around, but for some reason that one hits me harder and there's a sadness to that that we hope to address with therapy over yeah. time. EB affects so much of daily life. It sounds like the impact on the lives of the children, young adults, and families is really profound. And I'm so glad to hear that you're working on the development of a treatment for this terrible condition. Yeah, fortunately, you know, there are many experimental therapies under study right now to treat EB by replacing collagen 7, which is the root cause of the disease. It's still experimental. We're encouraged by the work. We're super hopeful. I'm hopeful as well. And I think that uh, your work is a source of hope for the community of people living with epidermolysis bullosa. So thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today, Sanush. Well, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about the disease and for all the work that you're doing to support the community. Now it's my pleasure to invite Eileen to join us on the podcast. Eileen is the mother of Brady, who's five years old, who is living with Ardeb. Hi, Eileen. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, the condition that Brady has is sometimes called epidermolysis bullosa, sometimes called recessive dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa, or Ardeb. So, How do you talk about it in your family? And Okay, so the term epidermolysis bullosa, meaning breakdown of the skin and blistering, there are several types. They can have very mild symptoms that affect certain layers of their skin, and then they can have very severe life-threatening symptoms. Some of these kids don't live past a year of infancy. 
Brady's is called recessive dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa. That means that his father and I had a gene that was passed on to him. It's like one in a million chance of, of getting it, which is why it's so rare and why we're very thankful for all that's being done to make Brady's life better with therapies. I would call it EB. EB is kind of the term that people know. You mentioned that you and your husband are both carriers of the gene, and I'm going to guess that you were not aware of that before mm-hmm. Brady was born? Nope. We had no idea, um, unless there's family history, which we had none of, that we knew. There's not really prenatal testing to determine if you're a carrier. There's one test now that that can be done, but we had no idea to look for it. And so we were pretty shocked when Brady was born. That's when we found out he, he was born. I had a normal pregnancy, and when he was born, he had no skin on his feet at all. And um, it was, you know pretty jarring. <laughs> Imagine. Can you walk us through, you have a normal pregnancy or? Yep. Had a, had a normal pregnancy and I was about one or two days past my delivery date. Per the protocol of the hospital, they have their NICU team present in the room when you're delivering just to make sure everything's okay. Everything was suspected to be fine, which I look back on as sort of amazing that they were there because nobody was expecting what what happened. And so um, I had a normal delivery and I looked down. We didn't know if he was a boy or a girl and my husband was to call it. (laughs) And he, you know, looked over my shoulder and I remember seeing these bloody feet. And I thought, I can't be seeing this. Like, this isn't, what am I looking at? And my husband just looked back at me very sweetly and he said, it's a boy. And um, yeah, okay, what what's happening with the feet? My mm. doctor was not there. So I had the on-call doctor who was totally shocked and asked several questions, wondering what was going on. They had no clue, but there was a NICU team that was in the room at that time. And when he was born, we only saw that his feet were raw and red and bleeding. But once they picked him up, kind of at his collarbone, there was a sheared, like it looked like a blister when you get on the back of your shoe, just sheared skin, just from simply being handled. And so they were not sure of what was happening. There was also some blood around his lips. And since they didn't know, I just remember they had almost like a produce bag and they filled it full of like a jelly, like a, you know, Mm. water-based gel and wrapped it around his feet And wrapped him in a blanket and I just begged them to let me hold him before, you know, he was whisked away. It was like a nightmare. Mm. A few hours later, after I had recovered, I wheeled, I was wheeled down to the NICU. I just remember this whiteboard in red Expo marker and it said epidermolysis bullosa question mark. I'd never seen the words. I'm a nurse. I come from a family of medical folks and I had never heard of it. None of them. I mean, it was like, what is this? Mm. And so he was in a, you know, a bassinet but had Vaseline all over him. He was just kind of this grease ball. I don't know. They were just trying to figure it out and they were running tests, wondering if he had an infection. And like, this is the only time, you know, you wish you hope he has an infection like versus what he, what he had. And so I remember all I asked when I saw that was, I don't know. I just said, I I don't know what that is, but will, will he hurt? Will he hurt his whole life? And that's Mm. all I wanted to know. Mm. And I remember the poor resident was like feverishly, you know, typing away at the computer, probably trying to find me an answer that wasn't like, yes, you know? And I remember her saying, um, well, you know, you can, there, there's morphine, you can give morphine. And I just was like, I don't need, I just don't even know what's happening right now. (laughs) Like this just can't be real. This cannot be real. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It was ruled out he didn't have an infection, and so it was suspected that he probably had epidermolysis bullosa or EB. And basically what Brady's type is, um, which is called recessive dystrophic EB, Brady wasn't born with functioning mm. collagen 7. So the layers of skin quite literally just lay on top of each other without any anchoring to the other. We were in the hospital for two weeks and probably would have been longer, but I'm a nurse and I didn't want him to get an infection there. Um, and I was just desperate for him to come home. And, you know, his his little nursery turned into to a little ICU, just full of bandages and because they can't use normal bandages. These kids can't have Band-Aids. And so they have very specialized bandaging. Um, our hospital didn't really know what to suggest. And I called a doc who is in the Austin area who is excellent. I remember asking him what I should use for Brady. And mm. he said, well, you're just going to figure it out. And I remember being so angry at that answer. I'm like, figure it out. I don't even know what this is. Like, you're the one who knows this condition. But it, he was absolutely right. Unfortunately, finding what bandages work for your kid is a lot of trial and error. And when you have the error, they wound. And they that's still something hard for me. If we bandage something that we think is going to work and then it ends up causing more damage, it's pretty tough as a parent um, I mean- to see. You were in the hospital for two weeks, and during that time, the diagnosis was made, and you said through genetic testing and blood tests. And yeah. um, so we just did a punch biopsy and looked at the skin, and they didn't see much collagen seven in that skin at all. The mm -hmm. best gold standard is genetic testing, blood work. It's taking blood from him and taking blood from Chris and blood from me to find the mutations that he has in his blood. And Chris and I both had different mutations. Um, one reason that this condition is so hard for medical teams and even parents to navigate because it's hard for them to get the right information is because EB, like I said, is such a blanket term for so many types of EB. For example, if someone has EB that's on a more mild side of, of things. Let's say a child has it and their parent says, you know, well, my great grandfather, I remember looking at pictures and he had, he had no nails or he had a lot of blisters or cuts on or whatever. And that's a, it's a mild form EB simplex. And sometimes it gets better as generations. But so we haven't been able to create a registry of these mutations. And, and so we're working on that right now with EBRP to really create a registry for people to be able to find consistencies and mutations and actually be able to diagnose as early as possible for folks. So you're working with an organization called EBRP. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I am fortunate to serve on the board of EB Research Partnership. It's a nonprofit organization that was, was started by a few families two of which had children with EB. And at that time, there was no organization dedicated to finding a cure. <clears throat> There's another organization that still is here and provides wonderful services such as bandages for individuals who, you know, have insurance that won't cover bandages, which I have stories on that too. Mm -hmm. um, and they do more patient advocacy and, and more education, but there had been nothing on research. And so yeah. these families established the EB Research Partnership. And we are right now, we have uh, phase three clinical trials for the first time ever. Um, February 28th, we will hear approval, hopefully, of the first treatment mm -hmm. for epidermolysis, dystrophic type, Brady's type ever. Wow. Yeah, which is sort of unheard of. I mean, our goal is to find a cure in the next decade by 2030. Um, <clears throat> and so what we do is we fund research and trials. Mm -hmm. We get submissions by 
you know, really all over the world. And mm. so when we talk about treatment versus a cure, treatment is something that improves quality of life. It doesn't change his DNA, but that you guys have created a synthetic form of collagen yep. seven that has been administered to patients with actually great success and relief. Really? Just incredible, yeah. incredible progress. And I think a lot of it is showing and teaching people about it. I've been so fortunate on the board to be able to talk with just some of the most brilliant scientists ever who I just pray for every day. So nothing happens to them because they're just such treasures and they are just so driven and so dedicated. And I mean, but I've had conversations where they might've not known like a symptom of EBO that happens, their throats blister. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like you need to spend a day at a clinic, just one day at an EB clinic and see what these kids are like and how tough they are and what they go through. And I think that combining the science to the face of the person is life-changing and makes people want to just do this yesterday, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that you're working with EBRP and that there's been progress in treatment and research. It's really, really exciting. Oh, yeah. If you don't mind, I want to just go back. You come home from the hospital. You have a confirmed diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You've spoken to an expert to kind of say, you know, tell me what to do and what kind of bandages to use, etc. He says, just keep trying to find the right thing, which is frightening, kind of leaving you on your own. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is two weeks after you give birth to a child who you had every reason to expect was completely healthy. So having a child with such a serious condition, and then also the struggle to figure out how to right. live with this. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we, when we got home, um, my family, you know, had stayed for about a week afterwards to help with my older son, to feed the dog, to make meals. Um, I was pretty laser focused on Brady. I was in complete disbelief that this existed and that there's just no way this condition didn't have a cure. There's no way I would be doing this every day for the rest of my life. I mean, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I really couldn't. Um, but at the point when I was home, I was in total shock, I think. And, but still trying to operate. Um, my parents, I remember saying, well, we need to get a nurse. I said, no, 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 I got it. I'm a nurse. I mean, which is, I don't know. So luckily they were like, I don't think so. We'll go, we're going to start just calling around. So I remember them just, just Googling any home health pediatrics and they would call and they would call and ask if there was any experience with EB. No, 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 no. And in the meantime, I was with Brady so, so much. So I would, um, we would be doing wound care on this little baby. And the most valuable thing to this day has been a Facebook group of, of EB families and, and parents. And that was everything because as you know, the doctor wasn't able to tell me much. And I still can remember the mothers who reached out and said, show me a picture of the wound, if you don't mind. And then they would say here, you know, and I was in the, also in the meantime, and my husband was doing a lot of this too, with our insurance, yeah. setting up mm -hmm. bandaging supplies. What, what do we get? Like, what are the things these kids need? What soaps do we use? How do we bathe him? How do we, oh, it's just, it's monumental. It's so monumental. Like it, part of it, I'm just like relive, like it's so much that it's just hard to believe that we do it. <laughs> but um, I had mothers who'd say, this is a, something we use for this type of wound and this type of wound. And this, if he gets something under the armpit, it's a really tough area. Can't really hold a bandage in place. You can't tape anything to this good skin. I remember we'd do a bandage change, which was the hardest thing ever for me. Um, you know, I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay today. We have a bath and a bandage change and it'll, it's, I just feel like it's going to be okay. And then it wouldn't be. And my baby's bleeding and he's screaming and he's 
three weeks old and I'm giving him morphine and I'm just Mm -hmm. wrecked the whole day. And I would just, we'd wrap him and I would just sit and just stare and, and watch him. And I'm a cardiac nurse and vascular nurse. And I was did wound care. And you look at the wound care you do and you're like, why isn't this healing? You know, you expect when you do it perfectly the next day, there'll be improvement, not another blister. And so I was starting to realize how much of this was going to be out of my control. Another um, uh, symptom of his type of EB is that they lose their fingernails and he had these cute little baby fingernails and they would just start falling off. And I'm just staring at this hand and I'm Mm -hmm. like, there's nothing I can do here, like except care for his wounds. And that is something I never obviously accepted because we're going to be able to give him a better life and others with EB a better life. Mm -hmm. When the physicians aren't well-versed in it, it's so scary because you have this child who's wounded everywhere. And I don't, I don't know if he's crying for this reason or that, or, you know, normal parent stuff, but also like on top of it, not knowing the pain your child is in, which is the worst feeling ever. And so another symptom that Brady has and that many kids with EB have is there's blistering in their esophagus and and because of the type which is dystrophic dystrophic translates to scarring you will have blistering and as it scars the throat gets really thin I mean it's simply just they just can't swallow anymore it's just brutal it's terrible so I remember one night Brady was in my arms and I was feeding him with a bottle and he wasn't taking it very well. And he was maybe four or five weeks old at this point. And he just started coughing and had blood. If you imagine your child coughing up blood, you think I'm rushing him to the ER. And I remember getting on Facebook, which is, this was so profound to me. Obviously I remember it. I mean, it was three in the morning and I said, help, what's going on here? And I said, what do I do? And they're like, Eileen, I think that's a a throat blister. Like there's no like internal bleed. There's nothing. I cannot imagine if I had taken him to the ER and then you have to explain to everyone in the ER what EB is and how they can handle him. I mean, the background work that goes with managing these kids, it, it makes you not want to take them to an ER because people don't know what to do if you touch them the wrong way. You, you can't put a bracelet on them. You can't put a mm-hmm. EKG monitor on them. It's everything. And so that's why we chose to be close to a specialty hospital that have protocols for EB patients, what tapes to use, how to secure IVs. That first few weeks, you know, was first few months was it was like living outside of what I could even believe to be true. Uh, insurance saying that they weren't going to cover these bandages because these bandages are expensive, but it was the only way to keep them alive. They cost eight to ten thousand dollars a month out of pocket. It was very frustrating. One of the it was a terrible experience, and we we had one month go by. They did not approve us. We couldn't do ten thousand dollars a month for bandages, so we paid for two weeks of bandages. So half of that out of pocket, we had to like ration it, which was, we are not alone in that. Our community has still incredible hurdles to get bandages. That is their only source of being able to live until we have a cure, until we have a treatment, until we have more for these individuals. Eileen, as we're talking, I keep thinking that, you know, Brady comes into your life and you have a nursing background, you've done wound care. Uh, and it's really, really hard. But I can't imagine even beyond that what it would be like for a parent with no experience. Just terrible. Also, I, what really struck me was how you were confronted with something that you really could only partially control, that even doing everything possible, everything that you knew using all of your skills and all of your experience, it still might not work. 
and often didn't that, work. That was the worst. That still remains the worst part of it is being helpless. I am told that a lot about being a nurse. And now that I've just met some of the most incredible people and parents I've ever known is that I think where my nursing background has been helpful is for me to know the wound healing process or vital sign, you know, like I, I was at ground zero bottom level, like anybody else in regards to his bandaging techniques and what was good because it wasn't what I was, what I knew. Right. And so EB parents are the toughest, smartest, most resourceful, creative, Mm -hmm. dedicated people I've ever met at first, like in denial about being a part of this community, like truly, like literally couldn't believe it was real. It was such a lesson. And because I just remember that moment where I was with Brady and watching wounds return or a bandage causing a blister along the border of that bandage that had was good skin prior to Mm. me bandaging it, you know, and I know it's not my fault, but at that point I'm like, I am causing trauma to your skin. And I, and I just remember, you know, literally like saying, God, like I can only do so much. This is yours now. And like, I've never, you know, give it to God, give it to, give it to something bigger. And I, I did, and I will never forget that feeling. I mean, a burden was lifted. Like I felt my shoulders lighten. I've never felt anything like that in my life. I have had a level of peace, what I can and can't do for the most part. I know that what I'm doing is always in his best interest. And I know that he understands that. It's a very hard dynamic to be a mom who is your safety and your loving everything. And then Mm. I have to put my nurse hat on and cause him pain to treat him. And like, it's the most difficult dynamic ever. I think, what if I was Brady and people were just picking at me, you know, that's like not Mm. cool. (laughs) And I want him to associate touch with not fear. I think one of the worst parts is that their hands have this internal fibrosis, which means scarring. So it doesn't even mean there's like an outward wound that you can see. His hands don't wound that much, but internally there's inflammation and scarring that's happening that causes his hands to contract and web. Like they become completely unable to use their hands. And so to literally stretch his hand, like I'll get a coconut oil or something and I'll just say, I'm just massaging. So that means I'm not picking at him. I'm not cutting anything. I'm just that's just love. And Mm. that's just me massaging your fingers to keep them (laughs) um, flexible. In my opinion, or in my experience, I couldn't survive without having handed some of it up because you just, Mm. I don't know. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't survive like that. And I've done a lot of personal therapy through this. I continue to, my husband and I, um, you know, my son Leo is a sibling of a child with these special needs and a terminal condition, which is challenging and hard. And we want to always have him be able to talk about that, how that affects him. And we're a very honest family with all this stuff, you know, finding little things that are joyful is like, you know, and all this stuff I wouldn't have known until I am living it. You know, you hear all this stuff, like these kids are amazing and I've been forever changed. And, but it's so true. Like I would have never known the joys of certain things that I can't even explain like small things that bring joy and what that joy, Mm -hmm. like how deep that joy is. And that's to me, like another thing that gets us through, you know, you and your family have to change so much in order to care for Brady, but you're also struggling to be a family, to have interactions, mom and kid that 
where you have to overlook the blister in order to just be present as a mom and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, one thing that strikes me from your story is that how the real experts in how to care for kids with EB seem to be the other parents. Yes. I guess you could say the ones who came before you who gained a lot of experience and then were willing to share it 24 hours a day, an issue that you hadn't encountered before or didn't know what, what to make of it. Has that continued? I mean, you're still in touch mm -hmm. with other parents. I'm guessing you've taken your place as an experienced parent now, mm -hmm. passing on what you've learned. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. They're my still my first go-to. I have two or three in particular that are my constant go-tos that I just think provide excellent wound care for these kids. And But also young women, young men who are in their 20s and 30s. Like I love talking to the older kids because I can say, oh my gosh, I'm frustrated that Brady's doing this and I don't know why. Like, But these kids mm -hmm. have no predictability sure. in their entire day. He can wake up fine and then is playing and degloves his hand, meaning all his skin. Like you never know what's going to happen. Sure. And so consistency and routine and expectations for these kids is huge. Like what they can depend yeah. on, right? As a constant. And so they're very into their routines and stuff. And so, but they also seek control. They want to play outside and it's hot. They know they're going to probably get a blister. And so I talked to other kids and I'm like, I remember some of them say, I would, I loved riding a horse and my mom knew I was going to have blisters all in my thighs and, and I didn't care. I wanted to do it. And so I knew I'd come back and we'd have to do bandage change, but it was worth it to me, you know? And so there's a level of peace I get from mothers, but from individuals with EB, it's like, it's so helpful. They deserve more than anybody to be relieved of what they've gone through and they don't deserve this hurt, but they are heroic. And I know that doesn't, you know, mean much to them for me to say, you're such, you know, you're such a hero, but I, but they are to me, they keep me going. So you mentioned earlier that you and Brady talk about his EB, and I'm, I'm wondering if you could share some of what you talk about and about your sense of his understanding of EB and of the need for care and, you know, balancing the wish to do anything he wants with the uh, need to look out yeah. for himself. This one's a hard one because he's starting at this age to really... Um, you know, um, talk about wishing this wasn't his skin. And <laughs> on his fifth birthday, we're like going around the table and saying our favorite thing about Brady and what we want for the new year. And he said, I just want new skin, mom. And I was, you know, was not expecting that. And um, ever since then, he knows I'm on the board of EBRP. He knows many of the staff there who has been the most loving. I mean, he knows them by name. When I have phone calls, they ask how he's doing. They, they give just as much love and attention to Leo. You know, I remember explaining to my older son a year or two ago about one of the therapies we're hoping for Brady and my son still asks about it. What about the spray on skin? What about when is it coming? And um, so he's very aware. What I love and what is so like amazing to me is Brady is so aware of what people are doing and genuinely thankful. I mean, EB kids, mm. in my experience, have like a depth to them. Like I, I remember when Brady was born and looking in his eyes, I mean, moments after he was born. And I just remember thinking, this kid has lived for me. Like there's wisdom behind those eyes. I mean, my other child is a brilliant little love of my life, but I didn't have that like feeling you know, when April and I were going to have a call, I was seeing him after school and I said, I got to jump on a call. And, and he said, who's your call with? And I said, it's a girl named April and they're helping 
to find different mm-hmm. medicines or treatments to help take care of your boo-boos so we don't have as many or maybe we don't have any someday and and he was like yay 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 good i mean he gets so happy and like loves that people are doing this like he's so sweet like that's the stuff that i want people to know that like my five-year-old is counting on you mm-hmm. You know, the mental um, impact this has, the trauma on these kids is is significant. And so Brady is also in therapy to be able to work through what he is feeling and um, find healthy ways to cope or to communicate. He has done a beautiful job overall. And actually, this is happening more often, which I love. I mean, he is running around at school. He's kicking the ball. He's doing stuff. And then later that night, I see him like not able to step on a foot. And I'm like, Brady... We have to open it up. We have to do wound care on it and it hurts. And but he didn't want to tell me because he was having fun and distraction is everything. Distraction is everything. And so I have to respect, he knows what will cause boo-boos. He's very smart. So, mm-hmm. but you got to let me care for it. You can't let it, it can't get bigger because they don't, they don't stop growing because there's no capability of the skin to like hold it and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like, that's where it becomes troublesome. So he's making choices, some of which he's trading off having the chance to have fun like other kids with the consequences, which is that there'll be injury. And I mean, any way to seek control. So we're trying to find it as healthy of a way for him to be able yeah. to do that because we want him to have control. I want him, mm. I desperately want him to control anything he wants to and have independence. Um, yes, yes. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of things that are really internal that are not specific to the Mm -hmm. skin. You mentioned the esophagus and his hand and fingers. Are there other internal components of EB? Yeah. So anywhere that there's the squamous cell, mouth and oral cavity and throat, GI, some kids have a lot of issues with the GI tract, Mm -hmm. um, which is really rough and surfaces of the eyes, um, they get corneal abrasions. So if we're outside, it's really, really windy. I mean, we always wear sunglasses, but if like a speck of dirt gets in his eye, it would scratch. And I've never had a corneal abrasion, but I, I, they're very painful. Um, Mm. Brady's had a few, and those are actually some of the worst of all the things we deal with because he just is miserable and he can't open his eye and he's, it has to be dark and quiet Mm. for like two days, Mm. you know, and it, it just, you know, those are the kind of things that make me so frankly piss me off because it's like, he just was having fun. He was having a great time. And now he's in bed for two days because now he's in a lot of pain and that's really, really irritating. (laughs) Yeah. It's an internal condition systemic is what Mm -hmm. and so therapies that are systemic or internal infusions those things are are um Mm -hmm. really helpful the exciting thing about something that would change his dna would be that he would then produce collagen but still something systemic is so important for these kids i mean the outward wounds are bad but the internal inflammation process that these kids go through is what can be really painful it can cause they have bone pain and Mm -hmm. arthritic pain um because their body's needs for wound healing are so high brady has several nutrients that he has to have supplemented selenium zinc iron so he gets most all of his nutrition through a tube in his belly um when we had it placed he was about one years old a little older than one i think and the doc told us that the caloric and metabolic like expenditure of a child with eb is is as though you were running a marathon all the time um and so brady has let's say 1500 calories a day and he's still bottom to mid percentile. I mean, it's good. He's fine, but he is 
always in a state of healing and regeneration and his body has really high needs. And so that was a big decision we made it, it and it was really good because we are able to give him medication or we are able when his throat is tight or he's having he can't swallow or he has vomiting like we can give him nutrition through his tube and we can add you know salmon and all this stuff if we want to to his you know feeding that he doesn't have to taste by mouth but it's giving him hmm. healthy nutrients so hmm. very thankful for that and that's also a common thing that those with EB the severe form um, have or G-tubes. Yeah. Um, Eileen, you mentioned that you moved in order to be closer to a, a specialized EB center. And I wonder if you would just talk to us about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So when we were in Houston, we learned that there were two main, pretty much two, and there might be three now, but in the country, two clinics that did sort of comprehensive EB care, which is a dermatologist, a physical therapist, because of the kid, their contractures. And Brady has had his foot in splints to straighten out his legs, which is, imagine putting a foot that has EB in a splint. Um, occupational mm. therapy, learning how to use our hands, splints to keep his hands straight at night. GI, which... It helps the esophagus and any GI issues. A PCP, his his main doctor. Mm-hmm. See, and then a social worker to help with the family of coordinating care or whatever. Um, so there were two places in the country. Um, one was in Colorado and one was in Cincinnati. And I guess we had just decided we wanted to. Some of the people that I had befriended in my Facebook group, who I really trusted, and you know, mm-hmm. suggested. Colorado and we thought, well, that'd be fun. Let's yeah. And and also it's Colorado. Let's see. So what we would do is we would fly up every four to six months for clinic, a full day of of clinic. So it's a long day, but dermatology will come in and you go over what you're doing bandage wise, ointments, and then you know, his PCP comes in, they check weight, they check whatever we he oversees everything else. And then there's also nutritionist. She comes in and checks, make sure his levels are good. You know, we've usually done blood work prior to being there, which is a beast as well. And then, you know, we see them as they come in all day. It's several hours, but we would come up for those to these clinics. And first of all, we noticed, you know, his skin was a little tougher and like less inflamed in Colorado with the dry, cooler air. I mean, Houston, he was extremely sensitive to the humidity. He'd get real puffy. And when his skin is puffy, it breaks. It blisters. It's unbelievable. We love Houston. It's our, where we have lovely, incredible friends and mm-hmm. family, but I could not bear watching like my son play outside while Brady and I were inside. I was like, Nope, we're not, I'm not doing this. Like, this is not the life we're going to live. If we have to live with EB, we're going to do everything we can. And so I kind of earlier on thought we should move to Colorado, but I was, as I had mentioned earlier, the comfort level of knowing that they know the condition versus you know, having to explain everything. Um, I'll explain that something was done in a certain way and they, and they are just amazing here in Colorado. And they'll say, well, we're going to get to anesthesia. We'll talk to so-and-so. We'll get back to you on maybe a better way to do this, you know, and, and they're very, they involve the families. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it's just mm-hmm. amazing. And so earlier on, I had kind of thought about it, but I didn't want to mention it to my husband because I didn't like, we're going to just, should we just move here? You know? And then, yeah. you know, yeah. we had probably on the third visit to clinic with Brady. Yeah. I just said, do you notice how much better he is here? And my husband is not an easy sell, you know, and he's like, he's very like logistical, very matter of fact, very like not emotional decision-making, which is opposite of me. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm taking the flight. I'll move by myself, which was very bold. And I, you know, 
was it was really difficult um he was he even agreed that he did look better and i said like you know leaving our support system there but we found we felt so supported in colorado too like we just yeah the experiences at that hospital were just like we loved these people like they were and continue to be they check on brady they love him so much and our family like it's and so we did decide to move up be and we're about 15 minutes from the hospital God forbid anything were to happen, but like when Brady has needed a procedure, you know, we don't have to fly up to Colorado and figure it out with our insurance. And it's so, you know, easy and nothing's easy, but like, it's much easier. And we love life here. We can um, be outside in the evening, which was not possible in hundred degrees mosquito weather. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't. Brady loves the mountains. He loves the mountains. So like, we do a lot of that. I mean, I couldn't have imagined going camping, tent camping with him. And mm. he, we do like, it's so insane. Um, it's hard. Everything is, you know, camping in a tent uh, is, <laughs> is tough, but it's worth it. They love it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, moving was the right choice for us. And we're so lucky we had the opportunity to be able to do that. Well, I mean, I am so grateful to you for sharing your story. I only have one more question left and then I'll let you go. I'm left wanting to know what people like me can do to help families like yours. And do you mean in the capacity of being a representative of Bridge Bio? What is it that we can do? I, you know, your lives have been completely uprooted by this condition and, you know, you've made enormous changes. And if you can say that you've had success with EB, you have, you're still here, you're you're enjoying life. Brady seems to really be enjoying life. He's going camping. He's playing with other kids. He's, you know, getting through everything. But I mean, so I'll be, my honest (laughs) gut thing is all I think about every day, a cure, a, a, a treatment to make life for him better and to make life for him longer and for us to have him longer. And, um, but I really mean that, um, it is very, very important what you're doing by interviewing a family who's living with a condition to share the story. The rarity of it translates into less options for this. And that's what I think over the past few years, there's been a lot more awareness raised and that is really important. I mean, for me, I think of that being the easy thing to, to share this story, to share this knowledge, to share what you've learned. It's so amazing how often I get asked that question and we are sustained by people's love and their prayers and their thoughts. We really are. I mean, I, I feel it every single day. Someone I know will send me just, I'm thinking of you and I'm hoping Brady just out of nowhere. And that is so hard to believe how meaningful that is. But I think just, um, for clinical side or from day in the life and really educating about what these kids go through. And when you see them, they're so resilient and they're so much fun and they are like the most wonderful people ever. And like of all kids who deserve something. So in my heart of hearts, all I want is for him to be better. Um, then the next level is that it really is meaningful to share his story and to direct people to EB research partnership and let them read about it and let them understand it. I mean, that's an incredible resource for them. And that's an incredible organization. I know that I serve on the board, but I am so proud to be, and I love them like family. I mean, it's just very special. Well, we now know about you and Brady and Chris and Brady's brother, Leo, and we 
can certainly think of you and say prayers for Brady's health and your health and your the strength of your family. You've been very generous to share your story with us, and we are really so appreciative of that. Thank you. I, I again, thank you guys very, very, very much for reaching out and for the purpose of, of teaching others about this. It's extremely meaningful. Wow. Um, it's hard not to be incredibly struck by what she just shared about ongoing care. And I'm sure she just wants to love and hug and embrace Brady, but the consequence of that could be pain. It could be an injury. So I just have the utmost respect for the incredible balance that Eileen is having to do on a daily basis and every minute of every day. Yeah, I was really moved. I guess I would even say if this is possible, move to action. I can't help thinking about not just the activities of childhood, but the way that parents take care of their children is really altered by this condition tremendously. An embrace or some aspect of care like getting your child dressed can injure your child terribly. It's just, again, as a parent, I just cannot imagine how difficult this is. Agreed. The courage that Eileen has to share to help raise awareness will help bring that action, David. And we need that action for these children. The other thing I think we should really take note of is that the healthcare providers really were not the experts in how to care for a child with EB, but the community of families are the ones who came to her aid. I think we often say that patients and families are the experts, and this really proves that. The other notable thing that we should remember is this family uprooted themselves and moved to another part of the country to be closer to experts in care for EB. Expertise in EB is really lacking. There are not that many experts, and, and Eileen and her family did everything they can do in order to, to help Brady. Uh, EB is not only a difficult condition to live with, but it is a fatal disease, and uh, kids with EB die in young adulthood. So after living in terrible discomfort and pain, we, we lose these kids and we really must act to provide some answers and some treatments. I really hope that companies like Bridge Bio and Phoenix Tissue Repair and other companies and other researchers are able to provide some hope and some solutions to families like Eileen's family and soon. Agreed. Thank you, David. And many thanks to Eileen for being so candid about her journey with Brady, to Sunuj for explaining the science behind epidermolysis bullosa, and as always, special thanks to our producer, Amy Brooks. For information about EB, click on pipeline at bridgebio.com. If you like today's podcast, we'd appreciate your support by reviewing, rating, and most of all, subscribing. I'm Mandy Rorick. I hope you'll join us for our next conversation on Rare. Rare.